0: I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 4. In Romans chapter 4, we will continue the, the look that we've had in the Scriptures about faith and about how God works with His people. And as you're turning there this morning, I, I want you to consider just one central, easy, easy, one central, challenging question. Why? Why? Because if you can answer why, you can bear almost any what. If you can understand why, you'll understand how. If you can understand why, you'll know what it is that drives your relationship with God. I want you to think about this fairly significantly because... why is a really important question that most of us don't think about when it comes to God. Because ultimately, why answers so many questions? I, I look at the circumstances of my life and I, I, I believe that God allows providentially things to come or go from my life. And I There's some I don't like, okay? I mean, your life is probably different, right? Everything comes your way is just peaches and cream. Oh, yeah. But if everything isn't peaches and cream, and you know that God is good and you know that God is great, what's the question you need answered? Why? Why does a good and great God plop this down in my life? I ask that same question as I read the Scriptures. I'm trying to make sense of what is going on in the Bible sometimes. I mean, this morning, this morning I'm reading in, in my Bible in 1 Kings 21 and 22. Okay, it just happened to be where I was in reading through the Bible. And I don't expect you to know what's there. It's a pretty, you know... But kind of on the corners there of what goes on in the Bible. First Kings uh 21, 22 Well, there's a evil king and his wife, Ahab and Jezebel, who are some two of the worst individuals in the you know, from cover to cover there really. And they kill their neighbor and steal his vineyard. And it's a horrible thing to read about in the morning. And I'm thinking, okay, God's going to get them. They need to be gotten. And in fact, God says, Ahab, because you've killed your neighbor and stolen his vineyard, I'm going to make your family like him. Your entire family will be wiped out. And those of them who die in the city, the dogs are going to eat them. Those who die in the country, the birds are going to eat them. And I'm like, ugh. But that, yeah, yeah, that's right. Go get them, okay. And then the very next thing says, and the house of Ahab, the house of Ahab had peace and enjoyed prosperity for two years." What's my question? Why? Why would that happen that way? That is one of the bigger problems that I have, I'm just going to say. Is that God operates and I forget why He does what He does. What He's after when He does things. And He is after faith. He said, I will destroy Ahab, and then He waited. Now, why did He wait? So someone would have to say, God promised, I believe it. If it was instantaneous, there would be no, there would be no problem there, right? Boom, boom. And more than that, I mean, I think about this with God because I don't understand all that much about Him, but I need to understand why If I'm really going to love someone, if I'm really going to enjoy a meaningful relationship with someone else, I've got to know why. So, the same thing is true with God. If I want to enjoy a meaningful relationship with God, I've got to know why. Okay. I have a nearly perfect wife. You all know that. And I can talk about her in those ways because all of you know it to be true. Okay. There are occasions when we get crosswise. I will just say that. Okay? And when we get crosswise, uh, I can assume the worst or I can assume the best. And when I assume something, what am I assuming? I am assuming why. Okay? Same thing with something good. Okay? Last night, okay, I had a long day. I cleaned out the gutters, which is the, my least favorite job in the whole. Place, and she made a candlelight dinner. Oh, that's right. oh is right. That's the right thing. Okay. Well, you say oh because you assume you know why she made that candlelight dinner. Occurred to me. There, the candlelight dinner, and I'm thinking, okay, what's going to happen next? Now's the time she's going to pitch the kitchen remodel, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> you see, it isn't the what; it isn't the what that matters. It's the why. And it's the why, really. I mean, it wasn't that. Just so you know, just so you can ra- relax. Okay? It was all the re- it was good reasons. Okay? But it isn't the what; it's the why that matters. I mean, then the what matters because the why matters. And that is true with God. And and one of the things we don't do enough is we don't say, why is God doing this? What what is God trying to accomplish here? And that's what I want to do this morning. Is I want to kind of step back and try and answer at least part of the question why. It's not going to be the whole thing. It's just going to be part. But I want to answer the question why. Why does God do it the way that God does it. So let's look at Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if the adherence of the law, if it is the adherence of the law, who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of His offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believe, who gave life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. And so really, at the, at the heart of this text is the explanation for why God works with us the way that he works with us. Why God expects from us what he expects from us. And it's important as we do that that we begin... So I'm just going to begin with the what because it's the what that gives us sort of the insight into the why. It's the what that presents. It's the why that ultimately helps us understand God. For the promise to Abraham... And his offspring, that he would be heir of the world, did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And here we have the presenting what? The promise to Abraham. If you uh, if you remember, this is way back to the maybe the first 15 pages of your Bible. In Genesis chapter 12, we have the promise to Abraham. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. God made a promise to Abraham when Abraham was a nomad. There are a few problems with this promise. I will make you a great nation. Okay, he was going to make Abraham a great nation. Abraham didn't even have a kid. Let alone a bunch of kids. Let alone grandkids and great-grandkids in a nation. But he promised them a nation anyway, and I will bless you and make your name great. He was a nobody he was just a, he was just a nomad, a traveler hadn 't had a blessing yet when this is reiterated in verse or in chapter fifteen uh, and in chapter seventeen there's a, a promise of land that I will when you enter the land that I will give you you and your descendants after you then God makes a promise of seed and of land and of blessing. Abraham didn't have any of those. The promise came to Abraham. So if he doesn't have any of those, what's he to do with the promise that God gives? Well, he's either going to believe what God says or he's not. Right? There's nothing else to do with it. It just presents. Here's the promise... Well, you can do that. You're going to believe it or not. Okay. That's what he did. But the promise wasn't to him only. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world. That he'd be heir of the world. I mean, this is a good promise. So if, if you think a candlelight dinner is awe, oh, this, is, this is really something. If you guys are satisfied, so I can't like dinner. I mean, this is really something. The promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world. He didn't even have land. He didn't even have a house. He would be the heir of the world. He didn't even have a child, let alone multiple offspring. And yet, as this promise unfolds, uh, we see God keeping this promise. Starts off with Abraham with nobody. And then we have, um, Abraham and we have Ishmael, his firstborn. Then we have Isaac, the father of, uh, the Hebrew nation. And then we have Abraham remarried after Sarah dies and, and that wife has children. And so, what we have here is that this offspring then expanded now. And there is this, there is a contingent that somewhat represents this nation. That, that they have inherited not only the promised land, but space around it. And we have God beginning to keep this promise. And, and so, the, the families of Abraham was the, the first way that people understood this to be the way that God kept this promise. And then as time went on um, and people thought about this promise, they, they recognized that the heir of the world in this promise of land and seed and blessing would be fulfilled not only in Abraham's immediate family, but if anybody from any nation proselytizes and becomes a Jew, if they're circumcised and they join with the people of God, they too will be part of this promise. And so, now it expanded not only to the the physical descendants of Abraham, but now to those who entered into the the spiritual line of Abraham by their uh, joining in circumcision and keeping the law and those things. And then it's time... Went on, we get to the New Testament and we have the Messiah whom we're told is the promised seed of Abraham. The one through whom God would keep His promise to the entire world. And Jesus came as the one to fulfill that promise. And in fact, He did it in a way nobody expected. He came as, as a prophet and a priest and a king and Um, He was crucified and buried and rose again. And after he rose again, what did he tell his followers? Go and make disciples of every nation. So all of a sudden now we have this promise to Abraham uh, being recharged through Jesus to the world. And then in Acts chapter 2, there are people from all parts of the world who come to Jerusalem on Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit comes and they believe the proclamation about Jesus. And we have the first church, and that first church happens to be international. People from all the known world immediately become part of the church. And then as soon as that happens, the Apostle Paul is sent out as a missionary and he goes from place to place to place. And what happens in every single one of those congregations... Not unlike our congregation, but in every one of those congregations, they're international. There are people from every tribe and tongue and nation represented in those churches until we get all the way from the start of the Bible in Genesis chapter 12 all the way to the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 21, we have... Um, Oops, here we go. I, I skipped the better part of the promise there. Or the second part of the promise. In you the families of the earth shall be blessed. Okay? I just explained that before I read it. Sorry about that. Got carried away. I'm too excited about this. It gets us to this. It gets us to the end when I saw the new heaven and the new earth. Okay, what, what was the promise that Paul, how did Paul restate the promise to Abraham? You'll be the heir of the world, right? Well, here is here is the final restatement of this promise. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. So ultimately, this promise to Abraham that began in Genesis chapter 12 makes its way all throughout history until we get to the final book, the book of Revelation. And in Revelation chapter 5, There are people from every tribe and tongue and language of nation gathered around the throne of the Lamb awaiting Him to unravel history. And then in the very, very end, I saw the new heaven and new earth. The final chapter in this promise to Abraham. And the reason I say that, you'll see in a minute, we already read it, is that by faith you enter this promise to Abraham. By faith, this promise to Abraham is a a promise to his uh, offspring, not just to the adherents of the law, but those who follow in the footsteps of Abraham. This promise is for you, that you will ultimately have this. Now, again, this is the what, right? This is the promise. This is the what. But I just want you to know how good the what is. And I saw, and it sounds very much like a promise made to Abraham or to somebody who's Jewish, right? It's a new city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. See, this is the bless this is the ultimate blessing of Abraham, that God will be with Him, with us, with us forever. That's the promise. And you enter into it by faith, and it even gets better. He will wipe away every tear from your eyes, and death shall be no more. There shall be no more mourning, no more crying, nor pain any longer. For the former things have passed away. The very thing for which our heart longs, goes back in history to this promise to Abraham and looks forward throughout history to this final consummation at the very end when God will make that promise good for all who believe. Now that's what we have in Romans 4. That Abraham and his offspring would be the heir of the world. It's that promise. And it didn't come through the law. It came through the righteousness of faith. It came because God made right those who believe, not because they adhered to or kept the law. In fact, uh, it's, it's, um, it doesn't compute that it would come through the law because Abraham was over 400 years before the law. So, so whatever God tells Abraham is not going to come through the law because that didn't even come for another 400 years. And so he's just reminding the readers, he's reminding us that God intends for this promise to be good apart from the law. So, there are two ways of thinking about the way God works or the why God does things. The one why is adhering to the law, keeping the law, following the law, trying to do good, trying to be a good person, trying to make yourself acceptable to God. Try, try, try. This is one operating principle. The other operating principle is the principle of faith. That, that righteousness comes by faith. And so you have to pick one of these two. And I'm, I'm wanting to point out this morning why God picks this one. Why God says, I'm going to operate with My people through the principle of faith. The first statement we have of why really is back in Romans chapter 3 verse 20. By the works of the law, by this operating principle, okay, trying to, trying to make your way and be good enough, no human being will be justified in the sight of God. Zero. None. Okay, the, the, the scale is high enough, nobody will reach it. It doesn't work. The first reason God doesn't want to operate by your performance is that you're going to have a bad day someday. You're not going to hit the mark all the time. It's not going to work. In fact, what the law ends up doing is it ends up exposing your sin more than it ends up eradicating your sin. And so, it doesn't work. That's the first reason why God wants to operate with His people on the basis of faith. The second reason we saw last week in Romans chapter 4. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. So, if you're in this operating principle with the works of the law, doing your best, if that's the way you understand God accepts you, then what you are doing when you operate on that principle is that you are making your relationship with God into a relationship of creditor and debtor. And you are the creditor and God is the debtor. You have done the work. God has to pay up. You You have studied for the test. God needs to give you the grade. You have done the work and then it comes down to God owing you something. And I'm just going to say, He's God. Okay? He doesn't owe you anything. You're not that good. I'm not that good. God doesn't like to work that way with people. And so, he's, He says, I want to count it as a gift. The way that I want to do it is, I want to work with people by grace so that I can give it to them because His character is generous and He's good and He's rich and able to give. And so He wants to give apart from obligation. That's the way that God wants to work it. And that only happens by the principle, operating principle of faith. Well, those are the first couple reasons, the things that sort of lead us up to where we are now talking about the reason why. And so why does God work the way that He works? Well, here's here's the first answer in this text to that question. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. If God's going to work it this way so that your behavior is what puts you in God's good favor, then faith doesn't mean anything and the promise doesn't mean anything. Because it ultimately is not based on the promise. It's ultimately based on your performance. Because if you're doing it, God doesn't need to promise it because you're making it happen, not God. God wants to be the one who makes it happen, not you. But see, you're getting backwards if you're saying by adhering to the law or keeping the law or doing the right thing or being religious or however you want to fill in the blank, I am going to earn God's favor then that doesn't make it about faith. That makes it about something else. Faith is not, doesn't even count. It's null. And the promise is void because it doesn't really depend on God. It depends on you. And so God wants it to depend on Him. He's willing to accept that responsibility. He's willing to say, you can count on Me. I will make it good. So you don't have to say, oh, you can count on Me. Because I will see what I can do about making a good. That's not good enough. Okay? So this is a way that God says, I'm going to operate on the principle of faith so that I make the promise matter. Because the promise is important to God. God in His character is a promise-making and promise-keeping God. He wants to be a promise-making, promise-keeping God. And so what do you do with that? You have to believe it or not. And so if you're thinking, oh, I don't see God's answer to His promise. I don't see God, I don't see God you know, doing what He said He would do. So maybe He's punishing me. So maybe I haven't been good enough. So maybe I haven't done the right thing. So maybe this is for that thing back there in my past that I never really got over. God doesn't work that way. It's based on His promise. Not on your performance. Because ultimately, this operating principle brings wrath. The law just simply states, here's the standard. You don't meet it. You get judgment. Okay? I mean, I don't like that. But that's, that's what the law accomplishes. And in fact, when, when you have the law, it makes it worse where there is no law, there's no transgression, where there is a law, then you are not only just sinning against God, you are willfully choosing against God's revealed will. And it becomes a willful decision in addition to just a sin. So it gets worse because you have the law. Then you get better. it gets better when you believe the promise. That's his point. Now, here this is why this is why i made the message about the reason why well because here in romans 4:16 it says this is why okay preaching really isn't that hard most of the time just want you to know okay this is why it depends on faith this is why it works the way it works this is why god gives you the promises this is why god gives you some mysterious providence so that you end up Believing him. Okay. First reason he says, in order that the promise might rest on grace. So that it might be God's generosity at stake, not your goodness. If you had to pick, see, this is one of the reasons we talk about this all the time, is that you want to pick God's generosity, not your own goodness. If you had to bet, if you had to bet on which is, gonna, which is gonna work better, okay? I'll tell you what, there are a lot of people in this world betting on their own goodness. Betting on their own performance of their religion. Betting on their own, um, good works. It isn't, it isn't that. It's grace. It's that God gives this to people apart from what they deserve. And when He does, You won't want it any other way. Because it's in His nature to be generous. Now, here's the other part of this explanation. That might rest on grace and be guaranteed. That might be guaranteed. God is willing to guarantee His promise. He is willing to say, My promise is good. Do you believe it? And he will make it happen. But, if you're over here in some other operating principle, and you're saying, I'm not sure if this will happen, because I'm not sure about the problems I had yesterday, I'm not sure about how good I'm going to be tomorrow, I'm not sure. God says, settle that. Don't try and work on both principles. Don't try and earn it yourself. Just simply believe the promise. That's why He does it. So that the promise can be guaranteed. You see God's motivation here, right? He doesn't want to be your debtor. He doesn't want to owe you something. He's not going to do it because of that. He wants to do it because He's generous and He's going to not only give it, He's going to guarantee it to all of the pr- offspring of Abraham. And the offspring of Abraham are the ones who share in the faith of Abraham. You enter into this promise of Abraham through the faith like Abraham had. And he becomes a father. If he becomes a father, you become the offspring and the promise of inheriting the world to the offspring. And so this whole promise is yours if you will believe God. I mean, I can't make it any simpler than that. I can complicate it and you can complicate it and most of the time we do. But there, it, God doesn't mix these operating principles. They're like oil and water. He simply says, trust Me. I will do this when you believe. And so, anyway, the Scripture says, Abraham was the father of many nations. Again, this is just a reiteration of the promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, 15, and 17. Then, he wants to say, okay, uh, even below the, the why God works this way, why can you trust Him? I mean, you've got to see this. This is so good. In the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead, and calls into existence the things that don't exist. God is qualified for you to believe Him. God's credentials are that He alone in all of the history of the universe can raise the dead. Will you believe Him or not? God alone in all of the history of the universe, can speak the Word and the world comes into existence. God said, let there be life. He called into existence things that do not exist. God is powerful enough. God is good enough. God is unique enough that He makes a promise. You are confronted again this morning with whether or not you will believe His promise. That's the way that God wants to work with you. So, are you going to believe in a God who makes a promise and keeps it? A God who raises the dead. A God who calls into existence the things that don't exist. I mean, He, he gives life to the dead. That's why. That's why we wanted this study in the book of Romans to be Fully alive because what you get when you believe, when you realize God wants me to trust Him and that's the way our relationship is going to work, when you work it that way, you become fully alive. All of those other things fall away. All of the insecurity that comes from whether or not your performance is good enough, whether or not you're trying hard enough, all of that goes away. And you are left with the life that God offers you. I mean, uh, it's all I can do not to go ahead at chapter 5, verse 1. Those who are justified have peace with God. I mean, it all comes together when you trust Him. And so the invitation this morning is the same as it has been the last several mornings. It's not to go home and try harder. It's not to try these five things that are going to make your life better. It is simply, will you or will you not take God at His Word? Because that is how He wants to relate to you. Let's pray. Oh, great God and Father, we were humbled by the fact that You are God and we are not. That You can do things that we can't do. That You are right when we are not. And so God, I pray for each person here. We all have various sins and problems from our past. We all have the prospect of making a mess of it again tomorrow. And yet, God, I pray that You would help us to believe the promise. I pray that You would cause us to, to love and understand You and to recognize Your motives when You ask us to believe You, when You give us things that we don't understand. Father, may we cling to Your promise with eyes of faith. And so, God, we praise You and we thank You and we ask really with with that poor, pathetic man in the Gospels who said... Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. God, that is really where all of us find ourselves. So, Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Amen.